Shalom, everyone. This is Luke Tanner with Zion Hebraic Congregation. This week's Shabbat message is entitled The Gentile Question by my father, Warren Tanner. I hope you enjoy it. Feel free to check out our website, zionabraiccongregation.com. There you'll find archived Shabbat messages, blog posts, and links to our social media accounts, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Enjoy. Mighty warriors arise, yeah. Freedom does not. All right. All right, so hello to everybody. Glad you're here. Uh, last time I preached, I forgot to hit the record button, so there was nothing up from that week. However, um, I'd like to call your attention to the fact that I wrote a blog basically summarizing it from Acts chapter 10 is called uh, Meat in the Sheet. And um, it deals with the whole issue of Acts 10, what is clean, what's not unclean, what did Peter see, what was the whole vision about. I take you back into Ezekiel. And um, I was so disappointed when I finally looked down, it's like, it's not recording. But anyway, that's there in a blog form. And it'd be worth your while to read it if you hadn't or read it anyway uh, if you heard the message because this that's one of the passages we're always getting kind of beat up on you know peter and the sheet and yeah everything's okay to eat now and it was actually interesting to do the study on it and to find even christian commentators that were bold enough i guess or honest enough to say it had nothing to do with eating food even ryrie in the study bible and some of the other commentators don't jump on that. You know, see, the law's done away with. You can do what you want. So that, that was that one. Uh, and it kind of ties in with today. That's why I mentioned it. So that one's meat, meat in the sheet. And then the one I did yesterday. Did you get a chance to read it? Um, serving God without corruption. And I don't know. I tried to make a juxtaposition of, and I don't want to say the whole thing all over again, but I think, you know, I, I think it was good, but not because I did it. It's just... You know, I try to remove myself from myself and read the thing like I was a regular person. I had to sit down and actually read this thing. You know, I want it to be worth your time. But I, I, I try to bring, a duck, the, bring together the juxtaposition that we serve a holy God, but yet we're not. You know, and how does that work? And David as the example and the role model from Acts, because I'm in Acts. So if you get a chance, uh, look at that one as well. All right, so today we're in Acts 15. And... And we're there just because I'm an Acts, and that's how I'm progressing. And Acts 15 is, is again, another one of those chapters which uh, can be used for or against where we find ourselves now, wanting, wanting to be observant, uh, observing the Torah. And it, it revolves around, and, and Torah, maybe you can come up with a better title. I've, I've entitled this the Gentile question. It's... it's more than that, and I think the application is greater than that in what I want to pull out. So we're, we're going to look at that. And uh, so why don't we go ahead and read through the chapter, and then we'll go back and work our way through the chapter. 
I like that if we can read the chapter as a whole because it, it gives you uh, a mindset already where we're going to be going. Acts 15. All right, so it says, And certain men, hold on, uh, sorry, wind, Okay, let's try this again. The fan, a fan blew my stuff off. <laughs> All right, Acts 15. Again, we'll start. All right. And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and it said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. And being brought on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, declaring the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy unto all the brethren. And when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church and of the apostles and elders, and they declared all things that God had done with them. But there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees, which believed, saying that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. And the apostles and elders came together for to consider of this matter. And when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men, brethren, ye know how that a good while ago God made choice among us, that the Gentiles, by my mouth, should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us, and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. Then all the multitude kept silence and gave audience to Barnabas and Paul, declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. And after they had held their peace, James answered, saying, Men, brethren, hearken unto me. Simeon hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And to this agree the words of the prophets, as it is written. After this, I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. And I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up that the residue of men might seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things. Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. Wherefore, my sentence is, that we trouble not them which from among the Gentiles are turned to God, but that we write unto them that they abstain from pollutions of idols and from fornication, and from things strangled and from blood. For Moses of old time hath in every city them that preach him, being read in the synagogue every Sabbath day. 
Then, pleased at the apostles and elders, with the whole church, to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, surnamed Barsabas, and Silas, chief men among the brethren. And they wrote letters by them after this manner. The apostles and elders and brethren send greeting unto the brethren which are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. For as much as we have heard that certain which went out from us have troubled you with words, subverting your soul, saying, Ye must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment, it seemed good unto us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men unto you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men that have hazarded their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have sent therefore Judas and Silas, who shall also tell you the same things by mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that ye abstain from meats offered to idols, and from blood, and from things strangled, and from fornication, from which, if ye keep yourselves, ye shall do well. Fare ye well. So when they were dismissed, they came to Antioch. And when they had gathered a multitude together, they delivered the epistle which when they had read, they rejoiced for the consolation. And Judas and Silas, being prophets also themselves, exhorted the brethren with many words and confirmed them. And after they had tarried there a space, they were let go in peace from the brethren unto the apostles. Notwithstanding, it pleased Silas to abide there still. Paul also and Barnabas continued in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. And some days after, Paul said unto Barnabas, Let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord, and see how they do. And Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. But Paul thought not good to take him with them, who departed from them from Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. And the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from another, and so Barnabas took Mark and sailed into Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by their brethren unto the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, confirming the churches. So that's quite an interesting chapter. I mean, there's a ton going on. And it's just not, for me anyway, a feel-good chapter. They're entering into the nitty-gritty of everything now. And, and, and so... Um, I, I kind of want to bring us into how I see where chapter 15 is since Acts started, okay? Um, I wrote, here's where we are in the development of the early church, the early assembly of believers. So I want to use an analogy from marriage, okay? Not, a, not everybody's... Mary, but I think you'll get it. All right, so, so I want us to think about this marriage relationship and make that similar to what the church is going through, this, this early group of believers that are now coming to the Lord, right? So to use our marriage analogy. So at this point in the development of things, where we find ourselves, we're, we're past dating, we're past engagement, we're past wedding, we're past honeymoon, 
We're past entrance into living together as a couple. And we now have children and they're messing up everything. <laughs> That's where we are, the Gentiles. You know, every, you know, if you've read through Acts, you know, when you're reading Acts 1 and 2 and Three, and all this exciting stuff is happening and they're having this kumbaya moment and they're, everybody's selling all their stuff and they're wanting to stay together and taking care of the needs of everybody and they're just united and unified and in love with one another and oh, it's so wonderful. You know, that's the dating, the engagement, the wedding, the honeymoon. You know, all of that. And if you've been married, you, you get that, right? You know, everything I've said, date, engagement, wedding, honeymoon. But then you come back from the honeymoon and now you have to start life. Right? You have to now live with that person all the time. And you find out there's certain things you didn't know about that individual that you don't really like and you might find disgusting, distasteful. You know, not how you want it to be. Because you're putting on the best for one another through the whole time, but, but now you have no choice. You have to get into the reality of life and you just now become the you that you always were, but because you were wooing and courting and dating and you smelled good, looked good, hair looks good, you were groomed, dressed nicely, smelled good, your breath was clean. You know, all of a sudden now is none of that stuff because that's not really real life. So you weather that coming together as a couple and, you know, you start, but then, and you have children. So now another, ooh, the first child comes, then the second, then the third. It's like, why did we ever have kids? Because it changes everything, right? I mean, you get what I'm saying. I'm tongue in cheek here. Of course, we're glad we have our kids. Um, but you know what I'm saying? You get what I'm saying? Now, this is where we are in the church. We've gone through all of this. But now you're bringing in these extras, the children, you know, the Gentiles. There's, there's this dimension now that's being added to it. And now we have to get down to the nitty gritty because, and I don't use this term negatively, but the Jews, as I, I write about in my Acts 10 blog, Meet in a Sheet, and yeah, whatever, I can't remember what wrote, where now. But anyway, where, where the Jews... They have, Peter, I've never eaten anything common or unclean. Now, these commoners, the Gentiles, the common, are coming in their midst. And so they're going to have to deal with how do we live with these Gentiles now that we've always considered common and now unclean. And how that was a preparation, this, this whole thing, and this is part of it, for the dispersion that is going to be happening when they have to go out there and live amongst the common Gentile people that they always considered common. And they're going to eat food, uh, uh, unclean, and eat common food because now, there's, when that happens, there's going to be no temple, no priesthood. And as my note said that I gave you and put in a, in a blog, you know, the, the, the food is going to be just for themselves. They're not going to be able to give a portion of it back to God because there's no temple. So now it becomes common food. So if I mix up the common and unclean in there. But anyway, so that's where we are right now. The Gentile question, what do we do with these people? They've always been over there. Now they're coming in. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of like 
Let me say it this way. <coughs> Where I grew up, it was middle class, but then there was the north end of the city. And the first time I went through the north end of the city, which was on the other side of the river, it's like, wow, run for your life. These are people that I didn't ever have any association with. The lifestyle was totally different. There was crime, there was blah. And, 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 and white people never went through that section. And then we started getting brave and we'd go through and hope we could come through alive because it was notorious. You don't go through the north end, especially this section, you're not gonna make it. You know, I ended up, oh, that's a poor analogy, but you know, I saw for the first time a world I hadn't seen before, and I was willing to engage and interact with it, but I didn't know how. Fear for myself. I didn't want to be afraid. I wanted some kind of relationship, but I don't know if this is possible. How do we bring these two together? And so I tried to do it in the microcosm of where I did live and in school and where I worked and my boss and, and, and people I worked with to just, you know, yeah. You that N-word, which we could say back then, and I was the honky, which they probably can still call us honkies and get away with it. But, you know, we were that group and they were that group. And I just, I don't want to do this. But how do you bridge that gap? And that's what's happening here. How are we supposed to bridge that gap? The Gentile question. So, um, so we're in a delicate situation. Kind of recap what I just said. So this is the second aspect. A delicate situation. These... And, and so some of you might not get this that grew up in a Christian home. I did not grow up in a Christian home. I'm first generation, okay? Those of you that grew up in a Christian home, you kind of morphed into this belief system that you don't even think about because you've lived it your whole life, you accept it. There's never been anything radical about it. It's just been status quo, it's normal. Not me. When I got saved from what I got saved out of, put into what you normally grew up in, in your home as a Christian home, was totally foreign to me. It was a different language. It was a different life. I did not know how to navigate it. I didn't know how to function in it. I didn't know how I fit in with this squeaky clean group. And I was still, even the pastor's wife, she really never got too close to me because she grew up very kind of somewhat wealthy. And she, I was, I was from the other side of the river. I was always from the other side of the river. I was not one of the, from this society. And so I'm one of those people trying to fit into this. How do I do this? Well, this is what's going on now. You have first generation believers coming into a well-functioning, for sake of analogy, Christian structure where these people are somewhat sanitized now and you are just, just came out of there and we're not so sure you're even clean yet and we know you're supposed to be cleansed by the blood of Yeshua, but you don't look like it. You haven't cut your hair yet. Your clothes aren't, you're not dressing like we do. You still use words and you hang out with these people. But what else, what's going on here? These are first-generation believers. They hadn't grown up in safe families, and therefore, they don't have a familiarity with all the nuances of how to do things. They have arrived in new territory, and I'm talking the whole group, Jew and the Gentile. They've arrived in new territory, confused, excited, curious. Things need to be taken slowly, though, to bring it all together so that nobody gets overwhelmed. So they come up with a game plan. Because the, the Jews in their mind were kind of like king of the mountain, and now these other people are coming in. 
But now these other people, we're finding out, Peter's telling us, they're, they're accepted as equal with God as we are. They're saved the same way as we are, by faith, through the blood of Yeshua. All right, but you have these old prejudices, these old animosities, these old hatreds that have to be broken down, but you can't just do it overnight. And so, and this is what makes me mad when we read stuff like this, because we don't put it into the setting, we sanitize it with our Christian theology and come up with, mm, that's just not right. We don't even see this as somebody like I can, who's brand new to the party and doesn't have a clue. So they come up with a plan. And so it's something like this. Let's get them started on some basics. That's what this is about. Let's give them some basics. And then give them time down the road to sit under the teaching of the Torah under Moses every Sabbath. Because that's what it says in verse 21. They have Moses is read in, in, in synagogues every Sabbath. So if you put it all together, they're just saying, hey, these are the new guys in. They're lost. They're confused. They don't know what they're doing. We've lived it our whole life. Now, we've learned that we are kind of off a little bit, too, but we kind of have the foundation. These guys have nothing. We're bringing them in. We're going to have to get us both unified. Where's a good place to start? And that was great about my pastor, my first pastor. He was very understanding and worked with me for a long time to bridge me from the drug guy that I was before into now being this, this model Christian. But he had the wisdom to see, you can't dump it all on them all at once. He needs time to grow and mature and bridge, make that bridge. And so that's what they say. Let's give them a few things to latch on to now. Moses is read in the synagogue every Sabbath. They're going to be going there. Let them hear the rest of it and grow into it. And so that makes everybody happy. And so they come up with the game plan. So... That's it so far, right? They hit this delicate situation. What have I said so far? I've got to recap. I know where I am. Oh, yeah. So we went through the analogy of the marriage. We're in a delicate situation. How do we deal with it? Now, let me give you a breakdown of the chapter as I, as I outlined it, and then I'll try to get us through this, all right? All right, so here's an outline. Confrontation, verses 1 through 5. Explanation, verses 6 through 12. Deliberation, verses 13 through 29 delegation, verses 30 through 35, and separation, 36 through 41. So that's confrontation, 1 through 5, explanation, 6 through 12, deliberation, 13 through 29, delegation, 30 through 35, separation, 36 through 41. That's not written in stone, as I always say. I just have to do something so that I can wrap my head around what I'm looking at. All right, so I want to break this down. Now, the thing is... I, this chapter for me is, well, because I know the rest of the story I, it's not so bad, but going through it the first time years and years and years ago being saved and, and consequently afterwards, now having been in ministry long enough, this, this chapter is just to me a sad chapter in ways. It's not totally a bummer, I'm not saying that, but there's such an element of reality here, and I have so many of my own experiences being in ministry and as pastor over the years. I, I'm just tired of, and I don't mean that as I usually say, I'm tired of something. I'm, I'm tired. I mean, I'm really literally tired of 
confrontation amongst God's people in the local assembly. I'm just so done with it. And I've gone from raging mad, I'm done with it, we're not doing it anymore, we're going to kick everybody else out, to, that doesn't work, to where now personally myself, I want to do what I can to bring unity to whatever assembly, whatever group of people we have. I, I just can't deal with confrontation anymore. God blesses it and uses it in weird ways, as we'll see, but I don't want it anymore. I, I don't want confrontation. But that's what this whole chapter is about, confrontation. It's reality. It's life. I don't know how to get around it. I can remember when I got saved. I've told you this. You know, I come from, I hate use these terms, not that I, it's perfect terms, but for lack of a better, I was a drug-doing hippie guy. And that was during the late 60s, early 70s, flower power, you know, the girls wearing the flowers and, the, you know, and free love and everything that the girls went around with that and all the dope and love and peace. That, that was my era. I went through all of that, lived all that. But there was an element of that that was very true. We, at least as I recall it in our little group, we were a tight-knit group. And anybody that did drugs to whatever form or fashion, we were all considered united. And we were. We had each other's backs. You know, I mean, we shielded people when the cops, when the narcs came one night and were chasing after somebody. You know, but, but we, were, we were unified as a group. I mean, I told you, we'd pick up, go down that highway for an hour, down an hour back, two hours bonging, smoking dope. We'd pick up people hitchhiking take them wherever they were going. They were surprised how freely we shared our dope with them. We had several comments. It was like, wow, I can't believe it. You know, this has been great. You know, and that's how we were. So when I got saved, I thought, wow, if unsaved hippie people can have, you know, the commune mindset, commune mindset, ah, Christianity is going to be great. And it wasn't. I got to church. The, you, the assistant pastor was in the, in the process of being outed by the pastor, as I remember it, for whatever differences were there. He was gone. And then the backbiting and the things that I heard people saying about one another. And I'm just saved. I mean, within a year's time, a few months, a little bit, I went to church before I went to college. And it's, this is like horrible, horrible stuff. And I began to wonder what in the world I got myself into. And I was so confused. And I'm confused to this day of what we do to one another, all in the name of Jesus. That's this chapter. And so we have to learn somehow, not to repeat it all, but to catch ourselves and stop us from repeating it. Now, I am not the type that says we throw out everything and we're all going to gather together. You can't do that. You have to... And that's a whole other topic. But doctrine is core, and we work from there. Now, let's, let's work through this. So right off the bat, we have confrontation. That's verses 1 through 5. And I don't know if we'll read them all. But, but what's the issue? The issue is that faith isn't enough for salvation. Works are necessary as well. That's the issue in a nutshell. 
Because they're saying, hey, these guys haven't been circumcised according to the Torah. And because they're not circumcised, we're not really sure if they have the same thing that we have. And so before we can stamp them with some sort of approval, we need, some, we need to sign to show that they have the same thing that we have. They have to keep Torah. They have to keep Moses. They have to be circumcised. And circumcision became like a watchword for whether or not a person is truly saved or not. Right? Right on that? So circumcision becomes the issue, which is a work to show the gain, however they, they viewed it, that now salvation is legitimate. Well, Peter's going to say, no, that's wrong. Salvation is by faith. No extra works to it. Works come afterwards. And what these folks didn't understand is they grew up in the Christian family. These guys, they don't know anything, have anything. They haven't been taught about all this stuff. And you're saying unless they dot all the I's and cross the T's and have all the lingo and do everything, they cannot be saved? And that's the issue. And so this causes a heated debate. And, and that's what we have in verse 2, um, where it says, When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them. And those are really powerful words. The, the, the wording no small, it, it speaks to a degree of intensity. And dissension is arguing, disputation is debate. So what's going on now? This is a heated debate. This is like Luke and me in the patio out in Arizona just rock'em, sock'em one another, right? I mean, who knows how many people might have gotten saved from the echoing over, I don't know. But they heard something of the Bible they never heard before. Oh, and it just, because it was a wash and the apartment was right, other parts of the apartment were there, and it was just like a... Uh, Red Rocks Amphitheater. <laughs> and I didn't know that because I'd hear people across the way, and it, you know, when, before it got real hot in the summer, open the door and they're in there cooking their breakfast and you can hear the conversation as plain as day. And I'm thinking, oh, those people, they heard everything from us. Well, that's what's going on here. This is, this is a heated argument. You know, and I love it because these people that we can't really envision, you know, it's kind of like when you grow up and you find out, mom and dad did that. Ooh. You know, when you start realizing that mom and dad were really just kind of as human as we didn't know that they were. You know, and you, anyway, you know what I'm saying. Well, this is, this kind of, um, all of a sudden things are now getting really heated up. I lost my train of thought there. Uh, probably a good thing. <laughs> probably a good thing to you shaking her head. So anyway, so this is a heated debate. It's a confrontation. Oh, I know, the, the yelling. Um, so anyway, so the issue is <laughs> works are necessary for salvation, and, and, and they're just going at it, going at one another. Okay, now, that takes us to verses 6 through 12, and that's the explanation. And so Peter comes to the forefront and he starts telling them, hey, listen, you know what God did through me. He says in, in, in uh, verse 7, Peter rose up and said unto them, 
Men and brethren, you know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. That's going back to Cornelius in chapter 10, that Gentile fella. And he says, and God, which knows the heart, bear them witness, gave them the Holy Ghost, even as he did to us. And God didn't put any difference. See, you're starting to see it now. God didn't put any difference between us and them. Here it is, purifying their hearts by faith. Salvation is by faith. Next verse, no works apart from works. Now, therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? And that yoke is salvation by the works of Torah rather than faith. Torah, the works of the Torah didn't save them. The works of the Torah doesn't save us. Salvation is by faith. True faith manifests itself by then doing what the Torah says because of the faith that you have. Not to get justification, but because of the justification you already have in God. Then you live out the Torah. So Peter says, listen, you know what happened with Cornelius? God gave them the same Holy Ghost that he gave us. God didn't put any difference between them and us, which you guys are trying to do. They came to God, through Yeshua, by faith, just like we did. So why are you trying to get them into this works thing? So, verse 12, great verse, everybody shuts up. <laughs> that gets everybody to just shut up. They step back a minute, take a breather, think about it. They know, they, they, they know they're dealing with Peter. They know the history of Peter. They, they know they can trust Peter. Now they have to weigh it all. So that takes us into deliberation. And that's verses 13 through 29. Now the cool thing about this is, the way they settle this is by appealing to Scripture. And so they go to two passages, Amos chapter 9, verses 11 through 12, which parallel verses 16 and 17 in our chapter. And then probably Isaiah 41.4 and perhaps Isaiah 46.10, which correlates to verse 18. So they, they decide, we're, let's lay aside our opinions, our prejudices, how we think. Let's go back to the scriptures. That's why the Bereans were more noble than those in Thessalonica, because they searched the scriptures daily to see if what Paul said was true. So they decide to go to the scriptures. And so they go to Amos, chapter 9, verses, which is verses 16 and 17, 15. And to this agree the words of the prophets as it is written, after this I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David, his Davidic rule, which has fallen down and will build again the ruins thereof and I will set it up. Why? Because this is what's happening now, guys that the residue of men might seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord who doeth all these things. See, they have some insight. This was prophesied. This, the prophets have said this is prophesied. This is what's going to happen at the end time. These Gentiles are going to be brought in. They couldn't figure out how that was going to happen. They were pretty much exclusive to themselves in the land except for the uh, 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 deportation up north. They don't really grasp that they're going to be in the diaspora pretty soon and living out amongst the Gentiles. 
And so they can't envision yet this, this prophecy being fulfilled where these common, unclean things are going to be, we're going to be with them. Yeah. And they're going to be with us. How's that going to happen? Well, come to find out, Amos, who probably most Christians have never read because it's the Old Testament, plus it's a minor prophet. You know, you need to read the minor prophets, especially for the times in which we live. Hosea through Malachi. Immerse yourself in those books. They are so relevant to where we are right now, it's, it's mind-blowing. And then in verse 18, where it says, Known unto God are all his works from the beginning uh, of the world. That goes back, and we won't take the time, Isaiah 41.4, but, uh, but also Isaiah 46.10, where Brad God, Scott says in, in uh, Young in his translation, he says, God declares the end from the beginning. Yeah, somebody want to look it up real quick. Isaiah 46.10 says God knows everything from the beginning to the end, but I think the actual Hebrew word order that Brad Scott talks about and also Young in his little translation has it reversed. He knows the, he knows the end from the beginning. Is that, is that how it gets flipped around? So, so basically what this is trying to say is God is sovereign, folks. God is sovereign. He's told us already in his word what he's going to do. We're all beside ourselves as Jews. We don't know what's happening because we're ignorant. We don't know what the book says because he's given it to us, just like we are now in Christianity. We're ignorant of what the book says, even though God's given it to us, because we don't read it. Well, this, this was in God's plan all along, guys. He's sovereign. He knew from the beginning what he was going to be doing now and at the end. It's all part of his plan. That's so refreshing. So they decide to, you know, use the scripture. And so what happens is wisdom prevails. You know, and that's verses 19 through 29. Let's give them some basics. Let's give them. And, and it says in verse 20, uh, let's see, verse 28, I think it is. Yeah. For it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. These are the starting points, the necessary things. So they're, they're going to give them the basics, and then they are entrusted to the further instruction that they will hear from the Torah, verse 21. Then it pleased the apostles and elders... Do I have that right? Oh, I might not have that right. Uh, anyway, it talks about where they going to hear it in the Sabbath. Oh yeah, verse 21. For Moses of old time hath in every city them that preach him being read in the synagogue every Sabbath day. So that's on the heels right there of where they say, here are the necessary things, verse 19 and 20. That's all we need to give them. Give them time. They're going to be in the synagogues. They'll get the rest of the instruction that they need. It's not just saying these are the only four things now and you can just throw away the rest. It's not saying, well, now in this new economy of the New Testament under the dispensation of grace, this is it. You know, the rest of the Torah just you don't need. It's not applicable, especially to those Gentiles. It's not saying that at all. So then they come up with a delegation. And that's verses 30 through 35. And I, I don't know how much to go into this, but we're told that this delegation is Paul, Barnabas, Judas, and Silas. Judas, um, the best I can tell, he's a Jew. He's what I call the hometowny. He's a home, the homeboy, all right? Then you have Silas or Silvanius. He's a Hellenistic Jew. 
And he, perhaps he's a Roman citizen, and we, we get that a little bit perhaps from Acts 16.37. But he's a Hellenistic Jew. A Hellenist was a Greek-speaking Jew of the diaspora who returned and settled in Jerusalem. So you have Judas, you have Silas, you have Paul, you have Barnabas. This is this delegation that is sent. And I think there's a lot of wisdom in, 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 in the cross between these guys that are going to be going now with this message of importance. So things are going pretty good, I think. And that all seems to kind of settle down. Um, I mean, because when you get there, it's so cool. So, you know, they go there, verse 31, which when they had read, all the people were glad for this. And then Judas and Silas, their prophets, they exhort the brethren, confirmed them. And after they had tarried there a space, they were like on peace from the brethren. But Silas stayed there for a little bit. Also, Barnabas continued in Antioch, teaching the word of the Lord and with many others also. So cool, made it through that crisis. At least to some degree. But then, so, so what I'm, in the midst of everything, I want you to see the humanness of this all. One, God knows he has to work and build his ecclesia through us. Known from the beginning are the, God's works to him. You know, if you, if you just think of it, I want to say God would have been smarter if he just decided to do this by popping angels up all over the place, because they're not going to probably, maybe the good angels anyway, screw up what God wants done. But he's chosen to use us. Hence the blog I just wrote the other day. Us, we who are in and of ourselves corrupt, but clothed upon with the righteousness of Yeshua, he chooses to use us. And what I find encouraging in this is... We're never going to get rid of the human element in any assembly, in any congregation, and even in our own individual lives. You know, I, I tend to, and I think to encourage myself, I tend to put certain individuals like way up here on this pedestal. Because you see just the externals of their life, of how they serve God. And I'm always disillusioned to find out you know, that guy puts on his pants just like I do. He is just like I am. He's human. But he keeps going forward for God and allows God to use him. And God continues to use him. That's the encouraging thing. Because we find some stellar people here that just lose it. It's what... We've seen in our congregation years gone by, and I was probably a part of it. This internal blow-up that happens that's, quite frankly, embarrassing, unexpected. And it's that everybody's looking with the deer-in-the-headlight look at what is going on. It's just like when I was yelling at the kid in the bus with the cop and the principal there. I turn around look at the principal. His eyes were like this. It's like, you know. Whereas he gets on, same boys and girls. And uh, this is one of those moments where you turn around and everybody's, what did we just see? What just happened? So you get into verse 36. And some days after, Paul said unto Barnabas, now remember, Barnabas is a guy to put his neck on the line to get Paul into the group. 
right? Remember, Paul's a guy that said, he, he brings him in. He says, no, you can trust this guy. No, Paul, he's the one that just did all these bad things. Barnabas, son of consolation, he's just got this bleeding heart. He, he puts his neck on the line. He gets Barnab uh, Paul brought in. He risks his reputation because he risks his reputation. And people trust him. Now Paul's in, all right? So this is how even Paul kind of gets here. So now you have these two buds. And after some days, Paul said unto Barnabas, because they're best buds at this point, let us... Go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. Well, as it happens, everybody has a little bit of their own twist on how things should be done. So Barnabas comes up with this idea and he says, hey, let's bring John with us. You know, Mark. Paul said, no, not happening. Sorry, not happening. This guy forsook us earlier. We can't trust him. We're not bringing him. He's dead weight. A lot of my own words to that. But it says, Paul thought not good to take him with them who departed from them in Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. Wow, they're at an impasse here. Both men operating on principle. Uh, for Paul, uh, for Barnabas, um, uh, John Mark is his cousin. So there's this family connection he has to this guy. He's a little bit more attached to him. He's family. We're all the same. Don't mess with my family. You know, if you can mess with a lot of things. Don't, don't mess with my family. I'm, this is me talking. This is, this, is, this is Barnabas. No, hey, he's family. He's kin here. Paul doesn't have that connection, and he's more, no, the job needs to be done. We're not going to mess with this. He proved himself to not be true. We're not doing this. <clears throat> And so they're at this impasse. Joggerhead, I guess, is what I'm looking for. So um, <clears throat> then verse 39. <clears throat> and the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from another. Now, I've mentioned this in the past. The idea, they both had good intentions, but they butt heads. It's that word contention. It's our word, paroxysm. The only thing I can think, and I don't know if I'm sure of this, like hydrogen peroxide, you know, only time I use it is like in my ear. You know, if you, if you have a stuffed up ear and you put that junk in, it always has hydrogen peroxide because it breaks things up. I hope I'm right on that. But it's our word for paroxysm. And by definition, a paroxysm is any sudden violent outburst, a violent action or emotion. So it says, really, literally, and the paroxysm, this sudden violent outburst, an act of emotion, was so sharp, it split them up. Now, see, here, aren't these guys filled with the Holy Ghost? <laughs> right? You know? I don't know what to do with this, you people that talk about being filled with the Holy Ghost and you're only filled once and you don't need any more infillings. You got Paul and Barnabas. These are guys full of the Holy Ghost. It's not like full of Holy Ghost conversation to me. I find that encouraging because I'm constantly beating myself up. I'm telling you, Warren, you have the Holy Spirit in you. How can you just say that? How can you think that? How can you be like that? How could you do that? 
You know, and this is why people get questioning their salvation and wonder if they're saved and figure they were never saved and they were lost. They get saved again and again and again and again. Well, folks, they're just human. God did not deliver us from the complete human element. If anybody should have been delivered from the human element totally, it should have been Paul. And here is a paroxysm. They're spitting and fuming. You know, I, I, me, I envision me as Paul, not that I'm as crazy, but my arms flailing, spitting, and loud, and... But evidently, you were both doing that. Now, that's sad, but I find that strangely encouraging. But interestingly, um, at the end of Paul's life... So, so Barnabas takes um, uh, John Mark, and Paul takes Silas. Now... Interestingly to me, and I, I didn't go back and restudy this, so don't hang your hat on this, but it seems like Silas doesn't get a lot of road work from here on, but it's generally accepted we have the Gospel of Mark because of John Mark, which I think is interesting. You know, Paul has Silas, and, and I'm thinking more of Timothy. Paul later chooses Timothy. Of course, we have First and Second Timothy, um, but the book's written about him. Whereas we have John Mark, who's probably close to Peter uh, in, in, in that time. Many believe he wrote that gospel. So at Paul, at the end of his life, in relation to John Mark, he writes in 2 Timothy 4.10 that he is profitable to me for the ministry. So Paul gets to the end of his life and says, he's proven himself, I was wrong, he's profitable to me for the ministry. It takes a big guy to do that especially somebody like the Apostle Paul. And you know what? That's where we need to come to, folks. Because sometimes we in our righteous rightness are going to find out one day we were righteously wrong. And can we then go back and amend things that were broken because of words that were said? things that were done. I'm talking with your kids, with your mate, with your parents, people in the congregation. You know, you can say some of the meanest things to the people you love the most and love you the most. I just don't get that. We're kind to that dirt sleeves bag over there, but we can rip anew that husband, that wife, that child, that member of the fellowship. But that's part of the human equation, folks. But somehow along the line, we're going to have to reach Apostle Paul at the end of his life and say, you know what? I need him. I need that guy. In essence, he's saying, I'm incomplete without him in the ministry. He's prophet. I think it's powerful. Though even though this whole chapter is sad, that's so powerful if you can get further down. Now, one last thing about the word here. Where it says that they departed a son of verse 39, go up to Revelation 6. I, I want to show you the intensity of this word. And it's used in, in Revelation 6. Just so you don't think I'm blowing this up, that this paroxysm was... You know, not just exchange of some 
not unheeded words. All right, Revelation 6, verse 12. And I beheld when he had opened a sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake. I remember where my verse is here. And uh, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. And the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree casts her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And here it is. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. That's the same word. When they were departed asunder from one another, as when the heaven departs as a scroll and everything just falls apart. It's pretty powerful. So, life in the fellowship, I think, is something worth investing in. It's something worth bearing along with. I think it's something worth laying aside some of our pet issues, beliefs, things we adhere to for the greater good. When they went back to Amos and Isaiah, basically they were using doctrine to settle an issue within the congregation. We've tried to say on our, our website that we can't be totally flexible, obviously, but the main core is doctrine. That's what we want to focus on. You have your little pet guy you listen to. You have your little pet religious practice that you like over here, and I have my guy, and I don't do this, and I don't listen to him. Let's leave those as peripheral issues because we're never going to agree on who our favorite guy is. I am of Paul. I am of Paulus. I am of Cephas. You know, same problem. I'm of Brad. I'm of... Uh, I can't even think of people right now. Tim, I'm of Brad. I'm of Tim Haig. I'm of um, uh, Rico Cortez. You know, on and on and on and on. You have your guys you like listening to. You have the guys that you go on the internet and follow after and read. I don't want to police that. I do too. I have my own. But let's kind of leave it where it can stay out there. Let's come here and have sweet fellowship and not try to use this as a platform to advance our own ideas. You know, whether it's when the moon comes, when the holidays are done, whether we parade with Pesach with a, a lamb on a spit, slaughtered, in, in our Messianic congregation. You know, let's just... We have to learn to let, let it go. And that's what Paul does. You know what? I didn't agree with what he did. He should never have left. What he did was wrong. But you know what? I've changed too over the years. And so we all change. And we need to have a fellowship where people can come in, where we kind of get along and just leave the petty bickering 
stuff outside. I don't know how to do that, but that's what we have to do. That's what they had to do. Listen, here are four things. They're going to go back to the synagogues and their individual places. That can get fleshed out there. Here for now, let's start with these. The rest will take care of itself. You know, for right or for wrong, for better or for worse, Luke and I are the leaders of the congregation. Pretty much it felt to us, right? I mean, we, it felt to us. Luke was helping Glenn, and man, I cannot talk about Glenn without crying. He was a great guy, you know, 20-plus years with this congregation, decided like I did when I retired Mike, he just needs a break, got to get out. And so Luke was helping Luke got it, and then I by default. So this is no, this is no ego trip for either of us. You know, it's just not. Yeah, we have our own peculiar things that we think are important. But you know what? Those aren't things you die for. You die for the deity of Yeshua, his shed blood, the virgin birth, the inspiration of the scriptures. Justification by grace through faith apart from works. That's the stuff you die for. Ah, am I gone long enough? I've gone long enough. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Pull together. In Yeshua's name, amen. Hey, mighty warriors arise, yeah. Freedom does lie only away. For soon is the day when we see your face. Of your grace and zeal.